Whether it's hanging half a hundred on them at Owen Field or the run rules on the Diamond at Love's Field, we're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast. With Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's go! 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 Let's go. It's the Mainline Podcast. He's Tyler Burton. I'm Adam Jaquez. We're doing a live show tonight on YouTube. If you're catching the podcast later on, make sure you're subscribed on YouTube so you don't miss out in the future. But, uh, Tyler, we're coming off a really bad two-week stretch of OU football. Two losses in a row at Kansas, at Oklahoma State. We're going to dive into some tough questions. It's uh, probably not going to be the most fun show, but we need a little bit of therapy. Uh, Tyler, how are you doing this evening? Uh, Mixed emotions, Adam. Obviously, I'm kind of glad that we chose to do this podcast 48 hours after the football game. I know that we had talked about doing kind of a rapid reaction once you got home from Stillwater on Saturday night. Probably a good thing. We kind of let the dust settle. We've slept on it a couple of times, and you know, we both had a chance to go back and watch this game again. Uh, but yeah, it's it, it's not good, Adam. Um, what what a difference three weeks make. Obviously, coming out of the Cotton Bowl, the you, you've got the victory over Texas. OU moves to six and zero. You know, everybody's talking college football playoff. This being a top five team, and then you know we have a bye week that I think a lot of people thought was you know coming at the absolute perfect time. It was going to give everybody a chance to kind of recalibrate, come down from that high after the Texas win. You can kind of refocus and move forward into the back half of the season and. You know, starting with the UCF game, moving forward to Kansas and, and Oklahoma State, obviously. This is an Oklahoma football team that is completely unrecognizable from what we've seen through the first six weeks of the season. It almost looks like we've reverted back to Team 128 from a year ago uh, with the penalties, the turnovers, lack of discipline in key areas, the inability to execute in key stretches of the game when it matters the most. Yeah, there's a lot to dive into, Adam. It's uh, It's not good right now in Norman, Oklahoma, I can tell you that. Let's start right at the top with the officiating. Tyler, I think you're probably on the same page that I am here in that none of the calls were really good. Like the Brent Vittables uh, penalty, the uh, the pass interference on Macari Vickers before that, the non-call on Drake Stoops. There may have been others that people are thinking about. None of those calls were good. But <laughs> at the end of the day, OU should have had a two-score lead, a three-score lead, and it should have not mattered whatsoever. And that's kind of the case really for OU over the last, not just the last three years of, you know, when we've known that OU is going to go to the SEC and then the conspiracy theories come out. I don't buy it whatsoever. I don't think the refs are actually that invested in anything like that. I don't think it really matters to them. Um, but we've seen this for years and years. The Big 12 has not had the best officials in the co- in the country by any stretch. So there's lots of bad calls. They go both ways against both teams. But OU is just not good enough to, you know, have to rely on the ref to make the call at the end of the game. And that's kind of sad reality. And, and Brent mentioned this too, in that, hey, like the margin of error for this team is really small. And he said that, you know, very quickly in his post-game press conference after the uh, loss in Stillwater. And my thought immediately was, well, coach, don't contribute to that error by getting those penalties yourself. Now I know what he did probably doesn't warrant it. I don't think that was worth a penalty, but this is like the fourth time this year that the coaching staff has gotten a penalty. So he should be on high alert that, hey, you've got to, I mean, you have to make your case uh, to the officials, but you also can't, you have to be very careful, I guess, considering that this is the fourth time this year that you've gotten a mm-hmm. penalty. Well, Adam, anytime that you lose the turnover battle three to one, anytime that you're the more penalized team, you know, eight penalties compared to five, 
the margin for error, especially when you're going on the road, is razor thin. And Oklahoma just simply didn't do themselves any favors with the lack of execution on offense, you know, through the better part of the second quarter all the way up until midway through the fourth quarter, uh, just in terms of being able to get anything going and, you know, be able to extend that lead out into double digits. But, yeah, uh, I, I'm not one of those that can, that's going to sit here in agreement with you and say this, you know, there's, there's a conspiracy. The Big 12 uh, officiating is completely against OU and Texas. No, that's not the case, I don't think. But there are some head-scratching penalties that got called over the weekend in Stillwater that would make you, make you think, like, okay, something – it's not being called, you know, both ways, essentially. And, the, you know, there's three that really come to mind. The Macari Vickers pass interference on a third down and five when you've got Oklahoma State, you know, pinned down inside their own red zone. Rashad Owens pushes off. He drops the ball. So even if the flag is not thrown, you're still fourth down and Oklahoma has to punt, giving Oklahoma really good field position around midfield. The second one – after that play, Brent Venables gets an unsportsmanlike conduct. Dylan Buckingham on Twitter actually posted a really good video on social media earlier today, you know, basically showing I think that the referee saw Brent Venables for maybe one second. And from everything that we know about Brent Venables, I'm sure he didn't say something super over the top that would have warranted a flag being thrown like that. But yeah, flag was thrown immediately. And then Eddie Radosovich, friend of the program, actually posted a similar video of Mike Gundy earlier in the game going absolutely berserk on the field when Oklahoma State got called for a legal substitution, 12 men on the field. And he was causing a much bigger scene throwing a t- temper tantrum than Brent Venables was. And the, the official kind of calms him down, tells him to back up a little bit. Let's play on. Um, and then obviously the Drake Stoops assault uh, that was in the corner of the end zone in the final drive. It's just, I posted it on Twitter right when it happened, Adam. I mean, the, the clip's gone viral. How in that moment, and again, it's still water. You're, you're a road favorite. Going into a hostile environment, we saw it in 2022 with Trayvon West not getting in the call, similar type situation in the corner of the end zone. Anytime that you go on the road, you go into a rivalry game, you don't execute, you lose the turnover battle, you commit penalties, you can't execute. Oklahoma just simply wasn't good enough collectively as a team on Saturday to overcome all of those mistakes, and it came back to bite them. And that's the story. Like, it's weak to be an OU fan out here and saying, oh, we would have won if this penalty had been, you know, or this flag had been thrown against, you know, the Drake Stoops non-call pass interference, or if the flag hadn't come out for Macari Vickers. Uh, I think that should have been offensive pass interference. Like, there's lots of bad calls. I'm sure that there were some that OSU fans are probably thinking. Actually, I bet there's a lot of uh, calls that OSU fans probably don't remember because they Mm -hmm. won the game. But if they had lost the game, they'd be looking at those calls. So, OU has to be significantly better. This roster, if you're an OU fan, before the game, you look at it and you go, there's no reason that OU probably shouldn't win by by three touchdowns, just based on roster talent sure. alone. Not, not sure. necessarily on you know the results coming into this game. But that's just the, the fact of the matter when OU faces up against anyone in the Big 12, not named Texas. They're really three touchdowns better than pretty much everybody in the conference. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. OU continues to shoot themselves in the foot. So if you say that, hey, they lost the game because of penalties, you're saying, well, this team it doesn't play up to their potential. And that's really the reason that OU loses is, you know, they just can't, they can't make the key plays when it matters. There's no mm-hmm. complimentary football. The defense was a little bit slow getting started, but figured it out, you know, mid second quarter or so, and really shut things down other than that 97 yard drive. That was 35 yards worth of penalties that were just gifted to, uh, to Oklahoma state. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were worn down at that point. So I don't fault them too much, but like they can't play complimentary football. The offense can move the ball, but then, you know, stalls out for one reason or another with penalties or, or self-inflicted mistakes or just kind of a weird head-scratching play call here and there. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's like, they just, they can't get out of their own way. They can't, they're almost allergic to, to a two score lead really that mm-hmm. we've seen ever since that uh, Iowa state game. Right. Well, Adam, let's look at this game starting chronologically. Obviously, we knew coming into this game, all of the focus on the, you know, the OU defensive side of the football, the game plan was going to be limiting the rushing attack from Ollie Gordon. We knew that for for Oklahoma State to win this football game for OU, you were going to force Alan Bowman to essentially play the best game of the season, be able to force some of those throws down the, you know, down the deep side of the field and be able to beat you through the air. And I thought that Casey Dunn and Mike Gunny put together a really good game plan. They came out throwing the football. They were aggressive. Oklahoma State kind of picked on Gentry Williams for the better part of the entire first quarter. Alan Bowman, I think, found Rashad Owens five times in that opening quarter. Uh, and, you know, obviously Rashad Owens, who I don't think many people outside of Oklahoma State fans truly knew that much about going into this game. He finishes with a uh, season-high 10 catches, 136 yards uh, with a long of 31 to go along with it. And I just thought that this was something that Oklahoma really kind of surprised him coming out of the gate. I know that um, there were a lot of instances where uh, Oklahoma State chose to isolate uh, Owens on one side of the field and they would, you know, it kind of a run pass option. They would fake the run to Ollie Gordon, get uh, Alan Bowman rolled out outside of the pocket and be able to pick on Gentry Williams in a sense down the field with uh, with Rashad Owens. But you, you got to give Oklahoma State credit. Um Again, there there were a lot of things, especially early on in this game, that you know Oklahoma kind of some self inflicted wounds. Obviously, Nick Anderson drops a wide open pass downfield that probably results in a touchdown uh, that puts OU up at the half. Um, but I mean, a- Adam, wh- where do you want to start? Is it is it play calling? Is it turnovers? Is it penalties? I mean what do we really want to chalk this up to? Because the last two weeks, Oklahoma's committed a total of six turnovers, three in each game, and you've lost a one-score game in both of those contests. So I know that you want to give Kansas, you want to give Oklahoma State a little bit of credit because obviously they made you know a fair share of the plays on their own, but we're coming off back-to-back losses where the only team that beat Oklahoma on those two Saturdays was Oklahoma. Yeah, and I- I'm trying to think of like the right words to describe that because I don't want to discredit Oklahoma State. Like They played well. I think they played probably like a B-plus game and they still beat Oklahoma, but I can't think of too many like blunderous plays or calls that Oklahoma state had. Um, you know, there obviously was a trick play that ended up in an interception. For Billy Bowman. interception. Yeah. Outside of that. I don't know that there was that many plays that stood out to me where I was like, wow, Oklahoma state, you know, bad play, bad execution, bad coaching, anything like that. They just kind of were there, you know, I kind of think that's what Kansas was two weeks ago. They were just kind of there. They did their thing mm-hmm. kind of like, um, I kind of like K-State of old, you know, where they just, they don't make mistakes for as long as possible. And eventually the other team does and they take advantage and they win the game. That's mm-hmm. kind of what we saw from Oklahoma State. They were just there. Yeah, Oklahoma really was giving the ball away. And I think over mm-hmm. the last two weeks, other than, other than the Jaleel Farouk fumble at Kansas, I think almost all the turnovers have really just been more of giveaways than takeaway variety. And so it's just poor. I, I mean, it's, it's, you give the ball to the other team, you're not going to win like that. I think you summed that up perfectly. Giveaways, not takeaways. Oklahoma essentially gifting the football to the other team, not giving them or really forcing them to take it away themselves. You talk about the direct snap to Javante Barnes that results in a fumble. I'm not really sure what the play design was on it. We tried to get a little bit more information in the post game about it, but obviously Javante Barnes bobbles the direct snap. He tries to hand it over to Dylan Gabriel, who ends up fumbling. Oklahoma State. That looked like middle school, man. That looked like absolutely. And then you go to the first drive of the second half. Dylan Gabriel throws an interception on the first first drive, which again, it's kind of a punt. Yes, he shouldn't have thrown the football. He had pressure in his face. That play was so like I, I actually commented to the guy I was sitting next to because I, you know, 
Brennan Thompson's on the field. Big mm-hmm. alert there. They run a design play to him to kind of get him in rhythm. Two plays later, I, I actually commented to the guy sitting next to me. I was like, they're going deep to him. And mm-hmm. Dylan Gabriel needs to throw that ball way faster. I don't think it's an arm strength thing. He just needs to throw it like a second faster. Well, I was just about to say, the Dylan Gabriel, the continuation of underthrowing deep balls, he underthrew four, maybe even five deep balls on Saturday where Farouk beats his guy off the line of scrimmage. He's open down the field. He's got one to two, sometimes even three yards of separation. And I don't know if it's Dylan just simply holding on to the football longer or if he's just not putting enough juice on it. But there were plays to be made down the field on Saturday, particularly with Jalil Farouk. I mentioned the Nick Anderson drop. Oklahoma just simply didn't do themselves any favors in terms of executing in the big play passing game. No. Uh, but then you look at some of the penalties, Adam. Jalil Farouk's got two false starts. Drake Stoops got a false start. Guys, it's football 101 back to junior high. Watch the football. That's it's not even lining, he's go. not even lining up right, Farouk, on one of them. No. He lines up no. a yard past the ball. Like, how do you do that? And, I mean, I know that you're offensive lineman. You've got a false start by Tyler Guy, and there's a couple of holding penalties over the course of the game. That's going to happen over the course of playing 75, 90 snaps. But, you know, with the, the final turnover that was really just kind of the knife uh, in the uh, in the side for Oklahoma, all the way in the fourth quarter, 7.52 left. Oklahoma State's up 24-21. to 21. Oklahoma is driving, has an opportunity to take the lead uh, going into the final stretch of the game and Andrew Rames got a bad snap off of Dylan Gabriel's feet shoots forward Oklahoma State recovers on the OU 19 and they ultimately Oklahoma uh, defensively was able to limit them to a field goal so job well done uh, for Brent Venable's defense on Saturday but Adam here's the thing that drives me the the most insane I went back and watched this to try to tr- track it a little bit Oklahoma State went up 17 to 7 with 942 left in the second quarter and didn't score again until the 759 mark in the fourth quarter in what was ultimately the 97-yard touchdown drive aided by the penalties that put them up by three. After Oklahoma cut it to 17-14, the next six Oklahoma State possessions offensively were punt, punt, turnover on downs, turnover on downs, turnover on downs, Billy Bowman interception. We always go back to what, Adam? Playing complementary football, both offense and defense executing, feeding off one another. And the defense, Adam, I think I thought they played their ass off on Saturday. If you would have told me coming into this matchup that they were going to limit all the league to 137 yards or 139 yards on 33 carries, four yards and only one four yards a carry and only one touchdown. Oklahoma actually ultimately ended up outrushing Oklahoma State on Saturday. So I think that many people would have thought going into this game, seeing that stat line, that, okay, Oklahoma's probably winning by two scores at least on Saturday, but they just failed They they just failed to deliver the kill shot. And you always talk about the middle eight. Oklahoma, you know, really kind of screwed things up in the middle eight. Uh, they ultimately put them in a bad position. But the, this is just something that we've seen from this offense over the last two weeks, Adam. It's not having a killer instinct to be able to go out there and deliver that final punch to be able to put yourself up by double digits and really force the opposition uh, into a situation where they've got to kind of get outside of their game plan a little bit. If Oklahoma goes up 10, 14 points on Saturday, you're feeding, you, you know, you're basically. Um, forcing Oklahoma State to do something that's not their bread and butter offensively where you know they can't hand the ball off to Ollie Gordon you know 35 times they've got to they've got to be able to uh, give the ball to Alan Bowman to really kind of throw play from behind to try to catch up but yeah it's just one of those deals Adam where defense played their ass off offense had a handful of possessions where they could have extended the lead to double digits and they just simply couldn't get it done that was the theme for me on Saturday that's why Oklahoma lost I was just about to bring up the middle eight because we talked about that after Mm -hmm. the UCF game and the OU really did not win that middle eight, something they had been so good at for the first six games of the year. And 
They didn't do it against Kansas. In fact, OU and Brent Venables picked up the ball and took it to the locker room without even trying anything against Kansas. And then he did it again against Oklahoma State here where he could have called a timeout. He could have gotten the ball back, chose not to, chose to allow a Hail Mary pass to end the half. Just poor game management from Brent Venables. And I think that's... I think that sends a message to the team when you're not aggressive like that, when you have an explosive, a tempo offense, it's perfect for getting the ball with 50 seconds left and you mm-hmm. choose not to do it. You choose to just say, ah, let's just go to the half, you know? Yep. And I, yep. I think that sends a message whether or not you score on that possession or not. Like you probably pl- call some, some safe conservative play calls. that could be explosive and you see what you get, but at least you try and you say, Hey, we're going to be aggressive. We're going to, you know, go after them. And you, you do, you don't do that. So I think there was, plenty of game management issues from Brent Venables that are not, you know, they're outside the play calling of Jeff Levy. Uh, take, for example, the uh, there was the drive there, the second to last one where OU gets the field goal. You know, it's third and, what, 14 or something. You throw mm-hmm. the end of the end zone to Drake Stoops. It should have been a pass interference. It wasn't. But you sit around after that play, and you just you don't know what you're doing. Yep. You don't know if you're going to kick the field goal. You don't know if you're going to go for it on fourth and 14. Mm-hmm. You burn a timeout, which if you had had that timeout after the fourth mm-hmm. down uh, that Drake Stoops was short of the sticks, you yep. probably have two timeouts. You probably have a chance to get the ball back maybe with like 11 seconds left. You have maybe a, a, a lateral play or something at that point. But you burn that timeout because you didn't know what you were doing. You have to know before that third and 14 play if this doesn't convert are we kicking the field goal or are we going for it? You have to know. You can't just sit around and not know at that point. So right. there's a lot of issues with Brent Venables uh, that we've seen over the last two games of his game management that I thought we were kind of done with after last year, but it's starting to rear its ugly head a little bit. And I know that Joe John Finley is the special teams kind of, you know, quote unquote coordinator. So, I mean, that obviously Jay falls Nunez on him. But should, should know a sure, lot about that. Sure, yeah. j- absolutely. And, you know, Brent, you know, he's, you know, captain of the ship. Ultimately, everything falls back on him. He took responsibility for it in the post game. But, Adam, I do kind of want to get your thoughts on some personnel decisions and, pl- and play calling because this will kind of lead into the, you know, the biggest, you know, talking point coming out of this game. And that is Jeff Levy as Oklahoma's offensive coordinator moving forward. Um, personnel decisions. Oklahoma at the running back position, Adam. Gavin Sawchuck, 13 carries, 115 yards, and a touchdown. He averaged 8.5 yards a carry. Tawi Walker, 8 carries, 59 yards. That's 7.4 yards per carry. And here we are in critical crunch time scenario in the second half. You've got true freshman Dalen Smothers lined up at running back. On the final drive of the season or of the game, Dalen Smothers is your running back. J.J. Hester, who hasn't played really any meaningful snaps all year long, He's in on a handful of possessions in at wide receiver. LV Bunkley Shelton, who hasn't really returned a punt at all in the biggest game of the year in Bedlam, in your arch rival on the road, you put him out there to return a kick and he muffs it. Thank God we recovered it. But just some of the personnel decisions, going back to the position coaches, DeMarco Murray, I I think that when, when we sit back and we look at this season in its totality after the bowl game, ultimately whichever one Oklahoma ends up playing in, I think that you've got to do a serious look at each one of Oklahoma's position coaches on the offensive side of the football, outside of Emma Jones. I'm very happy with what we've gotten from the wide receiver pr- production. We might want to go over the fall start, lining up properly, watching the football. We uh, They'll touch on that this week at practice. But you look at DeMarco Murray, the mismanagement of the running back room. All season Javon- long. All season long, not yeah. being able to settle in on one guy. Yes, I know that there's been some injuries. You know, all three of the, you know, your top bell cows have been hurt at one point, going all the way back from fall camp uh, into, you know, the uh, current week 10 that we're in right now. 
And, and here we are, Gavin Solchuk averaging over eight a carry, Tawi Walker over seven a carry. Yes, I know he's on one leg, but Oklahoma State could not stop you running the football. And we only had collectively between those two guys, 21 carries. And Dylan Gabriel wasn't, I don't think there was maybe but one design QB run, which was the weird mm-hmm. sequence of after you get yep. the turnover from Billy Bowman, you yep. run with Tawi Walker, he picks up a first down, and then you run three straight running plays of which one was that awkward Dylan Gabriel keeper that did nothing. Second down and 13, fourth quarter, five minutes and 35 seconds left on the Oklahoma State 19. You're inside the red zone. You run a read option to the short side of the field that gets you one yard and puts you into third and long. And, you know, ultimately the next play is the Drake uh, Drake Stoops one that will be talked about for many, many years. But, yeah, just the play calling in general, and we we can use this as a transition into Jeff Levy because I think, Adam – I'm not as far down the road in terms of we need to seriously reconsider Jeff Levy going forward, you know, here on on uh, November 6th, not just for the rest of this season, but, you know, going into the SEC in 2024. I'm not there yet. I thought that he called a pretty good game as a whole on Saturday. And as an offensive coordinator, you're always going to want to have four to five calls back, something that you wish you would have done a little bit differently. But at the end of the day, Adam, he can't dictate penalties. He can't dictate drops. Gavin Freeman dropping a slant. Nick Anderson dropping a you know a deep ball down the down the sideline. Brennan Thompson dropping a fourth down and five. There were certain plays within this game that if Oklahoma simply execute, whether you know it's uh, it's finding the open receiver, it's a left tackle not getting whipped uh, on a three man rush, You've, and you find Austin Stogner wide open inside the ten yard line, he walks in. Oklahoma's uh, uh, wins the football game. We're having a different conversation, but. You go back to the first quarter, five minutes left. After Nick Anderson, 48-yard reception, we try to get too cute, which is something that we've talked about for the better part of the last three weeks with Jeff Levy. Javante Barnes bobbles a direct snap, tries to hand it to Dylan Gabriel, who fumbles, careless with the football, OU turns it over. Third and eight on the Oklahoma State 27. Second quarter, we call a swing pass to Drake Stoops on third and eight. Austin Stogner gets beat by Xavier Benson, and we'll touch on Stogner here in just a little bit, results in a six-yard loss, backs Oklahoma up into a deep, deep field goal territory. Next play, Zach Schmidt misses a 50-yard field goal. Fast forward. they even attempted that. <laughs> I don't know why. And we've I think that we've kind of touched on this one, Adam. Five minutes left in the fourth quarter. It's second and 13 on the OSU 19. The middle of the field has been wide open all day. Drake Stoops, we wasted a career performance from this kid on Saturday. You've been torching this uh, this Cowboys secondary all over the field for the better part of four quarters, and your play call on second and 13 is to do a quarterback read option where he keeps it and gets blown up two yards behind the line of scrimmage. Thankfully, he was able to run over the the, the edge guy and get back to the line of scrimmage, but for, for me, it's just situational play calling th- that I have a huge issue on Jeff Levy with, and there's a lot of times where I think he tries to get too cute, and there's a lot of instances where – we're being aggressive. We've got our foot on the gas pedal. And we just, instead of keeping it simple, stupid, we try to do too many things that we end up getting ourselves in the way. Penalties, uh, direct snaps, turnovers, things like that. And you just can't do that. You're too good of a football team. You're a much more talented football team than Kansas and Oklahoma State to think that you have to line up and run this cute little, you know, little league bullshit. Just line up. Give the ball to your running backs, run the ball down their damn throat, and let's move on. <laughs> Jeff Levy is the most hated man in the state of Oklahoma right now, for sure. Um, if you're watching live, you have opinions on Jeff Levy, um, put them in the comments. We'll we'll throw them up on the screen here and discuss a little bit. Um, you know, with Jeff Levy, 
I've slept on it, what, twice now? And it's not Adam, great. I, Adam, I'm sorry. We didn't even talk about the fourth and five play, the three-yard yeah, out route. I, to scoop. I kind of, there's there's some interesting theories out there around people saying that, oh, it was spotted at, you know, three yards out, and then they moved it back to five yards. And I think some people said, oh, the play call was already in. And so, therefore, it was like right at three yards was where Drake Stoops was. Should he have ran that a little bit, you know, longer? Probably. Mm-hmm. I think if he did, I think actually the defender probably had a better angle on that. So it probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have been completed. But yeah, that play call is just not good. Like you, you need to at least trust Dylan Gabriel to do more than just roll out, hit the one guy that the, on the one route there. Uh, Adam, I, I don't my, think that's a fourth down play. Adam, my last sentence on this, and then I'll throw it back over to you, talk Jeff Levy, big picture. The middle of the field was wide open all day. And instead yep. of giving Dylan Gabriel on fourth and five the opportunity to scan the entire field, your play call is to take away half the field and throw a pass where your receiver doesn't even run a route to the first down line. I just absolutely hated the play call. Um, and yeah. yeah, that's that's why we're in the position we're in. And Brent said on his coach's show this evening that there's a Rolodex of better plays that they had that they should have run uh, in that scenario. So after he's had a chance to review it a little bit, uh, he agrees with, with OU on that. So I'm sure there's been some uh, not fun conversations with Jeff Levy there. And, we had and I, a timeout. Yeah, I should have used it. I mean, it would have been nice to have two of them, like we talked about earlier, but you don't. You just got to be more organized. That's the details that he's talking about that he's not adhering to it and, and fixing. And, you know, the middle of the field, really, I think Drake Stoops is probably the only guy that's really attacking the middle of the field. Austin Stogner is just non-existent oh, as God. a receiver. Now, I know a lot of people are not fans of his blocking on certain <laughs> wide receiver screens, but you also have to give him credit and his due for that Gavin Sawchuk uh, touchdown run because he sealed the safety on that and, and launches him into the secondary there. Um, so he did some good things, um, but yeah, he's just not effective. I'm not with you on that. I mean, with, with Austin Stogner, why? And why are we running so much 11 personnel? One one running back, one tight end. And there's so many instances, Adam, over the course of the game, and I'll touch on the final series here, here in a minute, where you've got Austin Stogner split out wide. He's not mobile enough to be a consistent pass catcher, and he's not athletic enough to expect him to consistently be able to block outside in the screen game when you've got a defensive back coming down full speed. He got blown up or whiffed on his man three to four times and put Oklahoma behind the chains on a couple different instances. And, you know, Adam, we talk about the personnel uh, choices, why certain guys are playing in key situations of the game. You're in two-minute drill. Less than two minutes to go. You've got to go 75 yards to ultimately try to tie this thing up or take the lead. In our personnel group, we've got Austin Stogner lined up out wide running the routes. It doesn't You've make got sense. More, it doesn't make sense whatsoever. Yeah. I, I, I do think that there's an element of kind of like last year in the quarterback room where people are like, ah, we're frustrated with Dylan Gabriel. And you start to see Davis Bevel because Gabriel gets hurt. And then you realize, oh, like, I guess we should appreciate uh, Gabriel a little bit more. I kind of think there's some similarities there with Stogner in terms of like, you know, he's probably a net negative in most scenarios, but I just don't think there's anything one behind him whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But that's more of a, you know, that's a position you can take off the field. You can play 10 and 20 personnel. I don't think there's 20 personnel in Jeff Levy's playbook, but there's got to be 10. Like that was a p- big part of the Baylor offense was four wide receivers split out as far as you could put them. You mm-hmm. spread out the defense. And if they don't go out and cover those receivers man to man out there, you can, uh, you know, you can toss your wide receiver screens. You can run up the middle because you just got everybody spread out. And then the tempo, 
the tempo works a little bit more in your favor, I think, because they're having to cover so much more territory. But we're not getting the Baylor offense that we signed up for, unless you're unless you're faking injuries. I've I've never seen so many cramps on a seventy degree day. In there the was like four November. or five of them at least. Yeah, it's, but I I think you make a really good point when you when you look at Oklahoma's personnel group. What what do they do well? The tight end position has been a weak link on this offense all season long. Yes, I know that when Austin Sogner or Blake Smith is lined up on the line of scrimmage outside the tackle, they can do some good things in the blocking. But when you've got to go 75 yards, and we saw this over the course of the game where Oklahoma was able to spread things out. The first play of the, of the uh, last drive, Adam, when we were in hurry-up mode, we spread it out five wide. You get your one of your biggest plays of the day. Drake stoops wide open over the middle. Set yourself up. You got all the momentum in the world. And here we go. We line right back up, and we're, we've got Austin Stogner out there in the slot uh, on, a, on a few plays back-to-back. And I just I just simply don't get it. But, again, I know I'm not making the money. Jeff Levy has forgot more about football than I will ever know. I admit that. But a lot of this stuff to me is common sense. Why you would choose to do that in that situation to me is not putting your guys in the best position to be able to go out there and execute and have success in the times where it matters the most. I think it's going to work a lot better next year when you have Davin uh, Mitchell uh, out there at tight end. Because he is a guy that can play like a wide receiver with a lot Mm -hmm. more speed. But he'll keep that linebacker on the field. And that's part of the tempo element of it is, well, he can go and play wide receiver. Now he can come in and be a blocker, an effective blocker in the box for your run schemes. And you keep that linebacker from subbing out and getting a safety on the field. So there's there's that aspect of it. And it's going to look a lot different next year, which begs the question, is Jeff Lebby going to be on this staff next year? And I think... By and large, we asked on Twitter on Sunday, we gave everyone a chance to sleep on it and say, hey, is there anything that you could see from this offense over the next three games that would make you feel comfortable or okay, maybe not thrilled, but okay with Jeff Lebby returning in 2024? Mm -hmm. I expected to get like completely 100% negative. There's nothing he can do. And we did get a lot of that. I did see some level-headed people, though, that said like, hey, you know, score 50 points a game. At least there were some reasonable benchmarks that they had. So I think there's there's some fans that are like, hey, we're, we're willing to give him a chance. And I think Jeff Levy is still really good. He He's only a few things away from, I think, being a pretty good, like a really great offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Now, we have heard some rumblings ever since that SMU game. Uh, credit to Crimson Captain Matt over there uh, that wrote this really way back uh, after the SMU game. Uh, and the Art Bryle situation that there were probably, and I'm paraphrasing, so not his words, it's linked in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast, that original article, but there are some donors maybe that are kind of in the corner of, hey, let's let's part ways uh, with Jeff Levy. And there's been some more articles that Matt has posted on crimsoncaptain.com uh, of recent, uh, kind of along those lines. Um, you'll have to check that out uh, for yourself. But I, I don't know, Tyler, I, I'm still not of the belief that you really part ways with Jeff Levy in the offseason. No, season. Not, not even close. Now, Again, over the course of the first year and a half, Jeff Levy's been calling plays at Oklahoma. Have there been some some sour moments? Yes, absolutely. And again, I think that he's a good offensive coordinator. But like we've talked about, I think that the problem is situationally some of the play calling choices that he makes in those critical crunch time moments. That's um, kind of a pattern where he kind of you know kind of shrivels up in some of those moments and doesn't necessarily call what's been working for Oklahoma over the course of the game up until that point, but. Um, I think George Toy reported that Jeff Levy still has three more years left on his contract at Oklahoma. He's all the way through the end of the 2026 season. I would have thought I th- coordinators were like year to year still. 
No, but because I, I think that I, I be think wrong. that was one of the that was one of the big deals when they were actually able to pull him from Ole Miss as he was able to sign kind of a longer, you know, bigger, uh, bigger contract that was you know going to give him some more money guaranteed, but also you know a full five years uh, in Norman to be able to to do what he does. But as we sit here right now, Adam, I think that Jeff Elby needs to be back in 2024 now obviously we'll see how we feel over the course of the final three games of the season if we're still running into these same type of moments these same blunders uh where the personnel decisions are are question making then again that's more position group talk as well but just some of the play calling and crunch time scenarios if we're still having this conversation after the conclusion of the 2023 season then i think that the conversation can be had a little bit more realistically but you've got to look at this big picture adam what Oklahoma is doing on the recruiting trail is not something that Oklahoma has done in the better part of 15 years, specifically on the defensive side of the football. But when you look at how it applies to Jeff Levy, it starts with the quarterback position. You've got Jackson Arnold for year one in the SEC next year, but you've also got Michael Hawkins and you've also got Kevin Sperry on the hook for the 2024-2025 classes moving forward and some really Don't good skills. respect, Sirberg. Okay, I don't even okay. know his name. Okay. So, <laughs> but, but at the same that, time, yeah. where, where I'm going with that is, is that there's so much momentum on the recruiting trail. You've got so many, you know, top recruits that are going to be coming to Norman over the next couple of years. I think that at the bare minimum, you have to give him one full year with Jackson Arnold. That's his guy. That's who he brought. That was his, you know, his crown jewel coming to Oklahoma. I think you got to give him an opportunity. Yeah, I'm not super worried about Jackson Arnold potentially transferring like some people are because I just don't think that uh, I, I don't think Jeff Levy would end up anywhere that Arnold would want to go. Um, and I feel like I'm going to be like Lincoln Riley a little bit here when I say this, but I think we're I think we're pretty close to breaking through on some of these oh, things. Like, just think oh. about it this way. I, let me ask you this: Offense better this year or last year, Tyler? Oh, um, I'm going to say better you're this year. About it this I think year, it's okay. better this year, yeah. uh, but there's just been more critical mistakes, especially over the last couple of weeks. This, this offense was fantastic through the through the uh, uh, Texas game outside of the yeah. SMU performance, which, I mean, you still, you know, Oklahoma found a way to win that game late in the second half. They made those plays, Dylan Gabriel specifically, uh, you know, to, to get the win for Oklahoma. But yeah, I think it's got to be, I think it's got to be 2023. The offense has been better. Yeah, last year it felt like Eric Gray and not much else. It was kind of like up and down in the passing game. And now it feels like our passing game is fairly consistent every game as long as Jeff Levy allows them to play. <laughs> and then mm-hmm. the running game has been more more up and down. But at least you have a reliable passing game, which is, I think, more important. So I do think this year is better. I think that's partly because execution is better. And I think it's partly because the players are, are used to the system a little bit more. So I think that's something that you'll see increase and continue to get better going into mm-hmm. 2024. You'll have a quarterback that... I think we'll be well prepped just by being a year into college. We know he's a five-star. Yep. We know he's got talent. We've seen some of the things he's able to do, but I think he'll also be able to improvise more and do some of the things that we saw from past former great sooner quarterbacks mm-hmm. that can help overcome potentially poor play calling. Uh, but I think, I think Jeff Levy will continue to improve as well. Um, so I'm not, I'm not on board of like, let's just fire him unless there's like something that's like a no brainer out there. I haven't really seen the no brainer hire potentially out there. I, I think the, the Ryan Grubb talk of Washington, that doesn't make a ton of sense to me just yet. I'm not sure why he would do that. He might be closer to a head coaching job than he is to becoming an offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. So I'd like to go back and do some research on him without Michael Penix. 
That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you you want somebody that's going to be able to bridge, you know, different quarterbacks. Although <laughs> he might be might have a better quarterback in Jackson Arnold than Michael Penix. We'll we'll find out. But uh, what what but are yeah. your th- what are your thoughts on Jackson Arnold moving forward? Obviously, uh, you still have somewhat of an outside chance. Ultimately, Oklahoma's going to have to have a lot of help. Oklahoma has to win out first and foremost to make it back to Arlington in the Big Twelve Championship. But what are your thoughts on Jackson Arnold moving forward and his role over the course of the final stretch of this season? I, I think it doesn't. I don't think it changes unless you're in a blowout scenario and he comes in for mop up duty. I don't think it changes because that sends a message to your team of like, Hey, Mm -hmm. this season's kind of just done. Let's get this guy in here that can get some Mm -hmm. experience for next year. Like if, if I'm Drake Stoops, you know, I'm sure he loves Jackson Arnold, but if I'm Drake Stoops, I'm probably a little pissed because this is my final year. I want to go out and at least continue to win and have a chance for that Big 12 championship game. If things fall the right way for you, you, you've lost the opportunity to control your own destiny there, but I want this team at full strength. And I think we're all as OU fans have kind of settled in on the fact that like Dylan Gabriel is the best quarterback this year. Uh, he's got tons of experience and, and what you want there. And so I think you stick with the way things are going, but give Dylan Gabriel more opportunities. I'd say, you know, like, like we talked about less of the laterals and the screen passes and give him more opportunities to throw it down the field and, and make yeah. the play for this team rather than saying like, Hey, let's make this great play call. Um, you know, to one receiver, and that's all he has as an option. Let's give Dylan Gabriel more opportunity to to step up and be the guy, in my opinion, on offense. Adam, I do want to add one more uh, bit of positivity on the Bedlam game before we transition over to West Virginia and ultimately get to our bets for the week. There was a good thing, I think, a couple of good things that came out of the performance in Stillwater on Saturday. One is Kip Lewis. Kip. Team leading 15 tackles. That's one of the best, that's one of the best linebacking performances I've seen in quite some time. And again, Moving forward, if Danny Stutzman's back this week, it needs to be Danny Stutzman and it needs to be Kip Lewis side-by-side. Jaron Canick, really good player. He's still finding himself, trying to get more comfortable in Brent Venable's scheme, but also trying to get more comfortable playing the linebacker position as a whole. Your two best linebackers are Stutzman and Lewis. And going into this week with the West Virginia team that's coming into town that likes to, you know, dominate on the, uh, you know, on the line of scrimmage, likes to run the football with a couple of those backs and, you know, Garrett Green at the quarterback position, you've got to have your best linebackers on the field. And I think that make no mistake about it, Kip Lewis is that dude. I cannot wait to see what this kid's going to look like over the course of the next two or three years. Adam, he's playing at 210 pounds. He's already third on the team in tackles. He came in fifth in the bedlam, which was surprised me. And he's already up to third. And um, I was impressed with him. I was impressed with Kobe Mm -hmm. McKenzie. And I still want Jaron Canick to play. I think there's playing time there for him. I do. Uh, Just by matter of Kip Lewis being fifth on the team in tackles, there's there's playing time for Canick to continue to develop him because at some point he's going to have to step in for Danny Sussman when he graduates. Or I wouldn't mind seeing. Call me crazy, Adam, but I wouldn't mind seeing Jaron Canick take a few snaps at tight end. I <laughs> can't do much worse. I'm, I'm, than, I'm, I'm deadly than serious. Stogner, he's a couple. Yeah. He's a couple inches shorter than Stogner. Maybe a few pounds lighter. Much better athletes. Got good hands. Played quarterback in high school. I'm just yep. saying. Yep. I'm just saying. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> and Maybe. and one last thing too. That was the best running game performance that we saw from Oklahoma all season long. We just didn't do it enough. But you had to have liked what you saw from the running back positions with Gavin Sawchuk with Tawi Walker. And I think that the uh, the offensive line. Outside of a couple of plays, I think that they played their one of their better games of the season. This was the first game, and since I can't remember when, Adam, that we had the same five starting offensive linemen uh, for all sixty minutes on Saturday. I think Bill Beatonbow has found his his starting five, and this is who you're who we're going to roll with uh, over the back half of the season. I know there were injuries, but it shouldn't take till game nine to figure that out. 
Um, that's frustrating. It continues the theme and the fuel and the narrative for those people that say, why does it take so long for Beanbow every year? Why does he not get any big time recruits? Is he really that good of a coach? Like, yeah, he does have lots of guys that go in the NFL and become multi, multi-year starters, sometimes decade long mm-hmm. starters in the NFL, but it's frustrating. Like you can't, no other position group. Do you go, Oh, the wide receivers, they'll have it figured out by halfway through the year. Like, mm-hmm. I, we just kind of give that a pass on the offensive line. Well, and I think the I think the pressure's ramping on him a lot bit uh, a lot more, and I think that Oklahoma fans are going just going to continue to get a little bit more upset with Bill moving forward because of where we're going in the SEC. If you watch that Alabama LSU game, if you watch that Georgia Missouri game, Oklahoma's offensive line one they're not playing at the type of level that's going to give us you know uh, success in the SEC next year. But number two, we don't have the guys in that room across the board. Kane Green's the one SEC lineman there. Absolutely. And Tyler Guyton, when he he puts it all together, when he's consistent, he's an SEC tackle. Make no mistake about it, but he needs to come back another year. Man, Um, I don't know. I feel like like he's the type of guy that just projects so high that he'll go in the first round anyway. Oh, he's a, he's, he's an ready. absolute freak. I mean, he's a yeah. he's a specimen that not not too many. If he go if he ends up declaring for the draft and he shows up to the NFL Combine, he's going to put up some measure or his measurables and he's going to put up some numbers in testing uh, that you know he might sneak into the late first round, maybe uh, early second round. But uh, if you're able to convince him to come back, where you can you can put Guyton and you can put Sexton at your tackles, you've got Caden Green at one of the guard positions. They're going to have to find another center to replace Rain. Josh Bates obviously uh, is the uh, the guy that could be doing that next year. Troy Everett's another one, but I, I just think that coming into this year, the offensive line was a position where we thought there was going to be some continuity. Where going into the year, you were going to be able to just kind of hit the ground running from game one. You had Rouse with all that experience from Stanford. You had Guyton. You had Savion Bird coming back, Andrew Rain, you know, in his final year at Oklahoma. You thought that you were going to be able to basically be successful running the football from week one, uh, from week one on. And it's taken us, you know, two and a half months into the season before we've really been able to put together uh, a starting five unit that we're, it looks like we're going to roll with moving forward. Let's talk a little bit about West Virginia. Uh, just announced yeah. that the answer site jerseys are are making their comeback for this game at night, which is something it's we all want to see. I think it's probably the right time to give a little bit of energy, something to some I don't know, something to be excited and positive about for this team. I'm sure mm-hmm. they have different mindsets than than we do as fans, and I'm I'm hopeful that Brent Venables is doing a good job of just working that mentality for the team. Mm-hmm. But I think I think this could be something that gives a little bit of juice, a little bit of excitement uh, to uh, to a program that definitely needs something to help finish the year strong. So. The team's coming out in something new. I think the fans probably should come out in something new too. It's getting a little cooler outside. You know who has some good pullovers that maybe some fans should get? How about Red and West? Oh man, you want you want to talk about not just style, but when you talk about flexibility, comfortability, it doesn't get any better than Red and West. When you're when you're getting dressed on Saturday, folks, when you're putting together that game day outfit on Friday night, maybe early Saturday morning. Red and West, it doesn't get any better than that. We've talked about it time and time again. We've had the Nike, we've had the Jordan, the Peter Millar, the Polo, the Southern, uh, you know, Vineyard Vines. It doesn't get much better than Red and West. I'm going to have it on Saturday. I'm going to have it, you know, I've already got a couple of things from Red and West that's coming in the mail here in the next week that I'm going to be sporting out in Provo as well as the TCU game on Black Friday. Go stock up on Red and West, especially with the <laughs> holiday season coming up. Some good stocking stuffers for some relatives uh, sporting that crimson and cream. Go buy Red and West. I saw them at uh, Metro Shoe Warehouse the other day. Yeah. So they're in some brick and mortar too, but redandwest.com, best place to uh, to get some mm-hmm. new gear for uh, for game days there. So West Virginia though, <sighs> uh, I mean, what, what's, <laughs> let's just not spend a whole lot of time here. West Virginia, 
They came off a really impressive win over BYU. BYU started their backup quarterback. They can't run the ball whatsoever. I think OU actually wins that game in Provo fairly easily. I'm not super worried about that one. But I don't know. This is kind of just a weird game in my opinion. But what could OU do to impress you? Well, first, number one, you got to get healthy. That's the biggest thing for me on Saturday. You've got to get Danny Stessman back. You would hope the Tawi Walker, another week of rest, that ankle's going to be healed up a little bit more. Uh, that's a big one for me. I want to see a lot more of Kip Lewis. Obviously, we've talked about that. That was the one one of the biggest shining moments for Oklahoma and Stillwater on Saturday. Uh, so more Kip Lewis. I want to see more Robert Spears Jennings. I think that your safety rotation moving forward needs to be Billy Bowman, Peyton Bowen, Reggie Pearson, and Robert Spears Jennings. I know that we've... I know that Kip, or uh, excuse me, I know that Key Lawrence has done a lot of good things. He's played a lot of football. He's got he's that veteran leader in the back end of the defense. But I don't really want to see too much more of Key Lawrence. If I if I'm being honest, I think that those other four guys have a much higher ceiling. And you're also going to have you know three of those four guys for more than just this year moving forward. So, uh, but yeah, Kip Lewis, the uh, the safety rotation's got improved. The pass rush needs to become a thing again. This is going to be a really interesting game plan that Brent's going to have to put together on Saturday because what West Virginia likes to do offensively, Garrett Green is not as good of a passer as Jason Bean from Kansas is, but with what Kansas likes to do uh, in, in running the football with a couple of backs, uh, also with, uh, you know, um, uh, excuse me, uh, Jason Bean's legs and how dynamic he can be once he gets outside the pocket, West Virginia's offense is the worst passing team in the Big 12 by a mile, but they're the third best rushing team in the Big 12 at 218 yards a game, 31 points per game, pretty good offensive line. They've only given up nine sacks per year. So if you're Brent Venables on Saturday, if you've got if you've got Stutzman back, this is a really this is going to be a really big game for him because from a leverage standpoint, from uh, you know uh, your um, your the the schemes, reading your keys, situational football, you've got to get lined up properly against this West Virginia attack because they can do a lot of things that that can present problems if you're not fundamentally sound. They've got a really good uh, running back tandem. Uh, that's going to be coming down here from Morgantown, obviously, and C.J. Donaldson and Jaheim White. C.J. Donaldson's kind of been the bell cow for this group over the course of the year, but Jaheim White, in that 37-7 win last Saturday against BYU, uh, he went for over 130 yards and a touchdown. So multiple guys that can hurt you if you're uh, if you're not uh, defending the run on Saturday. And you just hope that Oklahoma continues that aggressiveness that we've seen over the course of the first six weeks going into Texas to where you force – West Virginia to beat you from the pocket. Stop the run. That's obviously number one thing. But force West Virginia into those, you know, second and long, third and long, obvious passing downs. That's where I think Oklahoma finds success on Saturday. If they can't, if they're giving up four, five, six runs a pop, it's going to be a long Saturday in Norman uh, that night. And you're going to find yourself in another game like what we saw for the last two weeks. I'm going to agree with questioning there that the, the live chat that we just threw on the screen, execution being the keyword offensively. Yeah. There's going to be opportunities for this team to go out, play complimentary football after your defense gets you a stop, to go up by a score, to take the lead, or to go over you know two scores in the second half there, uh, or to start the second half potentially, like get back to playing really great football in the middle eight. Um, we're about to do score predictions here in a second. So if you're in the live chat or you're watching on YouTube, let us know your score predictions. We'll throw those up on the screen. But yeah, I think that's I think that's what I want to see. I want to see some some high level execution from this offense. Don't put yourself in a position because you have far superior talent than West Virginia. Don't put yourself in a position where it comes down to what is Jeff Levy going to call on third and eight here? Just be better. Mm -hmm. 
like do better on second down. So it doesn't matter that you even are in yeah. a third down situation where we have to rely on Jeff Levy. That's the signal of a good offense, in my opinion, especially one that's got far superior players that comes down to execution that comes down to not having what we call those giveaways, not, not takeaways. I can live with a takeaway where maybe, you know, someone just hits a receiver so hard and the ball pops free. You know, you, you can kind of live with that. You don't love it, but the giveaways, that's going to kill your team where you're just gifting mm -hmm. it to the other team. Like we've seen over the last two weeks. So um, not necessarily a fan there. Anything else on West Virginia before we talk about score predictions? Well, West Virginia's defense, stylistically, I don't think that this is a very good matchup for Oklahoma because you look at Oklahoma's struggling on the offensive side of the football the last two weeks against Kansas and OSU. Statistically, West Virginia is a much better defense than what Oklahoma's gone yeah. up against the, the last couple of weeks, particularly on the defensive line. Uh, West Virginia gets creative. They do a lot of different stunts you know, with the uh, with those defensive linemen. The front seven is actually pretty good. They're only giving up 24 points per game. Um, if Oklahoma's going to have success on Saturday, you know, we've said it time and time again, it's going to be heavily reliant upon the arm of Dylan Gabriel on Saturday and being able to make those big plays down the field. Uh, hopefully that's something that they're working on this weekend because I'm not sure how effective the running game is going to be against this Mountaineer front seven. You would hope that they found something in Stillwater that they can build upon, especially having that continuity with those five offensive linemen. They can move forward this week with that. Uh, but make no mistake about this. Tawi Walker, Gavin Salchuk, that's 1A, 1B. That, that's who you should be going with moving forward. And Dylan Gabriel is going to be on him in those critical situations to make those clutch plays down the field. Uh, and you just hope that Jeff Levy comes out aggressive and he keeps his foot on the gas pedal over the course of four quarters. Absolutely. What's Tyler, Kevin saying? <laughs> Levy has an attitude problem is what uh, Kevin's telling us in the live chat there. Accountability problem as well. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, Tyler, what's your score prediction for uh, OU versus West Virginia? 6 p.m. on Fox. Okay, I'm taking off my Homer glasses here. Surely Oklahoma is not going to revert back to what we were a year ago, where we're going to lose three consecutive games. I wouldn't think that that's going to happen. We're coming back. It's a night game. You're wearing the alternate uniforms. The fact that this game is going to be played at night under the lights, I think that's good for this team. I think it's good for this fan base. It should be a really good home atmosphere on Saturday night. And I think that this is the week, again, we talked about it last week, you know, coming off the loss to Kansas, how's Oklahoma going to bounce back? And I thought for the most part, they bounced back and played very well defensively. The offense just let them down for the second consecutive week. But again, you're coming back home against a bad Mountaineer secondary. I think Oklahoma gets back on track here. I don't feel confident Ooh. at it at all, <laughs> but actually I'm going to go with my gut here. I'm going to say West Virginia 33, Oklahoma 31. Wow. Call, call me crazy. I got I got to see it. Mm. I got to see it to believe it. I know yeah. BYU is not a good football team, but West Virginia ran it down their throat last week in, in uh, Morgantown. Yeah, I, I can't take too much stock in how some of these new programs to the Big 12 are performing against teams that have been in the Big 12 for years because mm -hmm. there is an adjustment period there, and I don't think BYU is actually that good. So. I've got OU winning 31 to 24, a one possession game. <laughs> that makes me a little bit nervous, but I do have a lot of confidence in this defense still, especially a team in West Virginia that is not going to be very effective throwing. Uh, Garrett Green only comp completing about 53% of his passes. So I'm not super worried about what they're going to be able to do defensively. I think they'll get theirs running the ball. But again, this defense, you're going to have to put together a, a lot of drives, really. They're not going to give up a ton of big plays, um, especially with a non, you know, threat you know passing the ball uh, in Garrett Green he's a very effective mm -hmm. runner a very good player he's dangerous he, he beat us last year um so I'm not trying to slide him he, he certainly is capable but 
Um, this defense is also capable and they're also improved off of last year. It really just comes down to, is the offense going to execute? Are they going to take advantage of the opportunities that the defense is giving them and, and play complimentary football there? I'm not sure yet. I'd like to think that it's 31 17 and, and West Virginia scores a garbage time touchdown that makes it look closer mm-hmm. than it is. But I think this is more like a dog fight where OU holds on uh, and 31 24 is my final score. So Adam, uh, Adam, la- last little bit here on West Virginia's defense. Some of the games that they've played so far this year, their defense has given up 28, 48, 41, 38. And yeah, that's it. So Oklahoma, if they're firing on all cylinders, they should be able to to get their fair share of points. If Oklahoma doesn't surpass thirty on Saturday, yeah, we might be coming back here next week with a uh, even more conversation on Jeff Levy. Uh, but players got to go out and execute. Make no mistake about that. Jeff Levy can call the plays. It's up to the offensive line to block. It's up to Dylan Gabriel to hit those receivers down the field, catch the football, make some plays after the catch, and uh, let's go out there and win a football game on Saturday. You have no choice. Yeah, no choice. Let's wrap it up with our bet segment. If you are new to this or haven't followed along uh, throughout the season, we do five best bets every week. Kind of a little competition between Tyler and I. Uh, Tyler has not won it yet. We're on season four of the Mainline Podcast. Hasn't won in any season, but he's in the lead now. He had a great week, went four and one. Uh, Last week, I went only two and three. So he's taken, what, I think a game and a half lead on me overall Mm -hmm. for the year. Coming down the stretch here, so that means Tyler will go first with uh, his first bet of, I guess, week 11 at this point. Jeez, it's almost over. Pick number one for me, Adam Stain in the Big 12. Texas Tech traveling on the road up to Lawrence to take on Kansas. Lance Leipold's team is on a heater right now. A couple big wins. Obviously, you beat Oklahoma at home, and you go up to Ames, Iowa, knock off the Cyclones. Kansas, I wish this. I wish I didn't have the half-point hook here. Kansas currently favored by three and a half, but Texas Tech is a much different football team on the road as opposed to when they're playing at home. So for this reason, give me the Jayhawks to cover the three and a half here. Yeah, game is game is in uh, in Lawrence. You said yes. Okay, I like that one. Yeah, my number one. I'm going to App State at Georgia State. Mountaineers not the same program that they used to be ever since uh, Eli Drinkwitz and Scott Satterfield left. So um, they're going on the road. Again, just not liking the road team here, not liking where the program is. Georgia State's got a dynamic running team uh, duo there in their backfield between the quarterback and the running back, Marcus Carroll. Mm-hmm. And Mountaineers don't have a very good ru- uh, rush defense whatsoever. So uh, give me Georgia State to uh, cover the two and a half there. I like it. Nobody bets on the uh, lower tier teams in college football more than Adam Jacquez. If it works. Follows along here. It, it, it does. It does. <laughs> Pick number two for me going out to the SEC, Alabama traveling on the road to Kentucky to take on the Wildcats. Alabama coming off of a – Really nice win at home over LSU. Currently, Alabama is a six-and-a-half-point favorite first-half line, and I think that Alabama's found something. They've kind of found their offensive identity. Tommy Reese, offensive coordinator, uh, has done an extremely good job with Jalen Milrow, kind of catering that offense to uh, to Jalen's skill set. And for this reason, I think Alabama's going to go into Lexington, and I think that they're going to cover the six-and-a-half number in the first half on Saturday. I like that one. My number two. You're welcome. Uh, you got- you got to love Big Ten betting the under. I'm going Northwestern, traveling to Madison, take on the Badgers there. Under 42 and a half. Maybe Tanner Mordecai returns for this game, but even then, the Dairy Raid has just not been really all that great all year. So they're still figuring things out there in Madison. I think there's going to be a, a pretty low scoring affair here. Death, taxes, Big 12 unders. We're going to get we'll put that unders. on a team. Big 10 unders. Sorry about yep. that. Uh, <laughs> pick number three for me. I'm going to go out to the Pac 12 in this Arizona traveling up here to take on Colorado. Over under on this matchup set at 54 and a half. I was in Boulder on Saturday night watching Colorado. Um, defensively, Colorado is improving a little bit, but I think that this is going to be an instance where Arizona is going to have a pretty dominant advantage 
on the skill position on offense, and I think the Arizona's quarterback is really uh, kind of a uh, an under-the-radar type player in that conference. So for this reason, I expect Shadur Sanders and that Buffalo offense to get me at least 20. So give me the over 54.5 out here in Boulder, Colorado on Saturday. Dion's almost gifting Sean Lewis to somebody as a great offensive coordinator the way he's treating him right now because no way that Sean Lewis returns to Boulder, whether by his choice or, or by Dion's, in my opinion. We'll see. We'll so. see. My number three, take another under here. I just like the number, 49 and a half. Virginia Tech traveling up to Chestnut Hill to take on Boston College, a team that I think has a, a good quarterback in, in Castellanos, but not necessarily the most dynamic offense for either team here. They're going to run the ball a lot. It's, it's going to be a little bit cold up there in Boston. So give me the under on 49 and a half. Pick number four for me, staying in the Pac-12, Utah traveling up to Seattle to take on Washington. Over-under on this, kind of crazy, same 54 and a half. I think that this is going to be a high-scoring affair. And when you look at Utah's defense, yes, they kind of found their footing. They kind of got back on track last week. But I think that Michael Penix is just simply too good with this wide receiver talent to go around him. And I think that Utah is going to score some points as well. So give me the over 54.5 out there in Washington. My number four, I'm taking Texas minus 6.5 in the first half against TCU. I don't think TCU is very good. I'm not sure how good Texas is with uh, Malik Murphy. Maybe we see Quinn Ewers return for this game potentially, but either way, Texas has been pretty solid, uh, at least in the first half recently. And then they kind of don't close the door in the second half. So I'll take the first half line there. You need them to lose. Oklahoma fans, you need them to lose. Yeah. And then we'll go from there. Adam, I'm going to round this out here with the team that we cover and we cheer and root for. West Virginia coming to Oklahoma. Night game in Norman. West Virginia is a 12-and-a-half-point dog on the road. Give me the Mountaineers to stay within the 12-and-a-half. Well, let's hope you're wrong there. My number five, I'm, this is, again, I'm not really sure exactly where to go. I think my, I don't know my typical, what you're doing here. My typical game is go take the under on the Iowa. That got taken off the board. It was already like 29-and-a-half anyway, so it was crazy low. Um, but, I mean, it still would have hit, in my opinion. I'm taking USC on the road here. Plus 14 and a half. I kind of like that number um, at Oregon. I think Oregon is the best team in the Pac-12 and, uh, at this point, but I don't know. How many times has Lincoln Riley been beat by by that many points with the dynamic offense that he has? I wonder if there's a little bit more juice for the defensive uh, staff there uh, and the defensive players for USC. Not that they're going to suddenly realize their potential, but... I don't know if you saw this video that was coming out of Alex Grinch coaching up the team. He went to put his arm up, you know, the, you know, you know, one, yeah. two, three, finish, whatever uh, type thing in their huddles. And like nobody put their arm yeah. up. Everybody just, just kind of walked off. Away. So I wonder if there's a little bit of juice or energy of, you know, someone like Brian Odom, who's co-defensive coordinator now, if, if the team rallies a little bit more mm-hmm. effectively there. Um, but just having Caleb Williams and being able to keep it within two touchdowns, I think that's, I think that's somewhat reasonable. Now they could totally implode, but I'll take the Trojans plus 14 and a half. I don't want to root for USC, but at least I can, I can root for them to lose, but keep it close. I guess it's Oregon blowout 20 plus. <laughs> I, Hey, if I'm four and one and that's my one loss, I will gladly take that, but haven't been four and one all year. So we'll I wouldn't know that feeling. So <laughs> that's true. Great. Week Get us out of here, Adam. Week. We will see how things turn out this week. Thanks everyone for, for joining in. I know we had some new people in the chat. Sean says, thanks for uh, turning on the notification bell. We appreciate that. If you enjoyed this, check out the podcast. It's uh, available anywhere you listen to podcasts and we will see everyone again next week for the next episode of the mainline podcast. Please win. (laughs) Good.